so it's a pleasure again being here to do another podcast i would like to say thanks to the supporters and all who take the time off of their busy schedule to actually listen um so today the topic is the unity of the faith is not negotiable and before i start you know i would like persons to know that i will also do a live next week tuesday so one can stay tuned for that live next week tuesday right and by god's grace remember to log in and to actually hear the segments So, I will be reading from the King James Version Bible today. And as I said, the topic is the unity of the faith is not negotiable. So, I'm about to start. Now, we would do well to remember that in St. John chapter 16, Jesus gave us the assurance that on his return to heaven, he would have sent back the Holy Ghost, who would have had as part of his ministry and was able to guide the believers into all truths. That being so, let us now consider one of the major passages in the New Testament that deals with this unity issue to see whether the Holy Ghost was asking us to come together in an organic union or whether it was asking us to maintain a God-established unity and in addition to see whether Jesus desired that his church adhere to a common set of doctrines. In this regard, let us together consider the following from Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 1 to 15. So please turn your scriptures to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 1 to 15. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all loneliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, 
when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first to the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So that was taken from Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 1 to 15. Now, from the scriptures that I just read, the formula for genuine Christian unity has been evidently set forth. And all that is needed to make this a reality is just a genuine love for God and for his cause that superseded the love of self and the love of this world. You see, this simpler formula cancels the need for all the workshops and consultations that are ubiquitously held today. And it surely seems to me that it is fair rather than the much talked about love that is cementing church unity today. And time since, let us consider this important unity, that passage that I just read that the Holy Ghost dictated to the Apostle Paul. So in verse 1 to 3, so let me go back and read verse 1 to 3. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that he walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all loneliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of the peace. So the Spirit distinctly informs us that as far as God is concerned, Christianity is an occupation. This fact is put beyond doubt when the Spirit admonishes us to walk worthy of our vocation, meaning profession. Now, this is indeed significant. For if Christianity is a vocation or profession, it follows, therefore, that Christianity, like all other vocations, 
must have a particular job specification. So this would ensure that those who are thus employed display a common behavioral pattern worldwide. Moreover, verses 4 to 6. Let's read verses 4 to 6. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So, verses 4 to 6 reinforce or should I say reminds us that there exists only one true church with one Lord, a common faith, meaning a similar set of doctrines with a common baptism. Then verses seven to 14. Let's read verses 7 to 14. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he said, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first to the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god unto a perfect man unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive so verses 7 to 14 informs us that christ has endowed his church with gifts for the work of the ministry for the building up of his body so that his prayers of john 17 verse 21 could become a reality so this fact is beautifully set forth in the apostles epistle to the ephesians in the following verses verse chapter 11 12 13 and 14 which says and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, 
till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they line wait to deceive. So that's Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 11 to 14. So, the scriptures that I read is conclusive evidence that the church of Jesus Christ should have a common set of doctrines rather than a compendium of divergent doctrines of men that have erred from the truth. So if the instructions in Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 1 to 15 are adhered to, it will serve as a guarantee against the polluting of the doctrines of the church. This will ensure that the body of Christ does the same thing and also speaks the same thing. In so doing, the unity that Jesus prayed for would be a reality. So in time saints, from a careful study of Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 1 to 15. It must be clear to all that true Christian unity is absolutely essential. However, one should also understand that the Christ-desired unity therein described is one that is based upon the following. One, a God-given unity established by the fact that each believer's body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is confirmed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Therefore, we are asked to keep, not seek, the unity of the Spirit by living peacefully with each other, as verse 3 in Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 1 to 15 states. Now, number two, a unity based upon the fact that since we all have one Father and one Lord, we are all brethren. Therefore, we must love each other and forbear one another in love as we walk in meekness. So that's taken from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. So focus on verse 2. And number three, it is a unity that is rooted in the fact that the Christian community, though living in different lands, subscribes to a common set of doctrines and traditions as practiced by the first century church. But nowhere in this Ephesian passage would one find the slightest hint of a unity based upon an amalgamation of a multiplicity of various different doctrines and dogmas, as is being advocated today. So for that, brethren, that is a sure recipe for disaster. I just would like persons to know that I am an ardent unity advocate and that unity 
must have as its foundation a common set of Bible doctrines and traditions that were practiced by the first century Christian church. This has been and still is the plan of God for his son's church. And for this said reason, the apostle Paul left Titus at Crete, an island in the Mediterranean, to ordain bishops and deacons to counter the menace of false doctrines propagated by men for the purpose of enriching themselves. That is confirmed in Titus chapter 1 from verse 5 to 14. And for that said purpose, the apostle Paul left Timothy at Ephesus so as to ensure that there be no deviation from the established doctrines of the church, which is confirmed in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Brethren, the importance of true doctrine in the church is highlighted by the fact that the apostle Paul stated if he or an angel from heaven came to the church with any doctrine different from that which was originally taught, let that one be accursed. This he repeated twice for emphasis. This is how strongly the Holy Ghost felt when dealing with errant doctrines, that he inspired the Apostle Paul to make such a dogmatic statement on this issue which can be confirmed in Galatians chapter 1 from verse 6 to 9. Neither was this doctrinal purity stance peculiar to the writing of the Apostle Paul. For the beloved Apostle John was so serious about doctrinal purity that under inspiration, he advised the Christians of his day against allowing a certain class of heretics to enter their homes. And in addition, they were not to be the heretics Godspeed, lest they partake of the heretic sins, which is confirmed in 2 John chapter 1 from verse 9 to 11. So by now, brethren, it must become clear to all that as far as Jesus Christ and the first century apostles were concerned, no compromise with respect to the doctrines of the church were to be tolerated. Therefore, it is absolutely necessary that this modern tendency of accommodating erroneous doctrines in the church of Jesus Christ be arrested and eradicated. Lest these leaven-like doctrines permeate the whole Christian lump thereby rendering the Christian bread useless. So as I close, and this being the case and time since, it is high time for the true church of Christ to understand that the unity of the faith, and when I say unity of the faith, I mean doctrines, let it not be negotiable. True Christian unity was ordained by the founder of the church, even Jesus Christ, who bequeathed it to us, his body. It was designed to be maintained by the leaders of the church, by eternal vigilance, 
which is confirmed in Jude chapter 1 from verse 1 to 3. Therefore, brethren, true Christian unity can never be a topic for the negotiating table. We must either subscribe to the unity terms set forth in Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 1 to 15 or forget about the idea of genuine Christian unity. That, brethren, is the only choice we have. Anything less must culminate in futility and calamity. For true Christian unity is not negotiable. So that's the end of my segment today. I will be live next week, Tuesday. So have a safe and productive week. God bless.